Welcome to the Latter-day Struggles podcast with therapists Brandon Patrick and Valerie Hamaker. Now, we have both been in the trenches for years with church members and heard about all kinds of problems, suffering, and struggles that church members have. We are here to have thought-provoking, honest, bold conversations about those false traditions that cause people harm. So let's go. All right, Valerie, so we just wanted to talk really quickly before you listen to this episode and tell you kind of what happened here. So we recorded this episode on March 10th. So this was long before, about a month before conference happened. And then and then this episode was scheduled to come out this week. Yeah. And it's really fascinating what happened, isn't it? Yeah, I, I think we both kind of looked at each other like, oh, goodness, wow. I mean, on the heels of Elder Renlund's talk um, about our Heavenly Mother, um, we both were kind of a little bit nervous, but also like, oh, this is so relevant. Um, a different way, we don't, well, let me speak for myself, Brennan, and maybe you can tell me how you feel about this. I don't see this as sort of a, um, we're not trying to be rebellious, we're not trying to sort of be um, subversive, but we are wanting to deepen and enrich the content of this topic, that there is a lot of depth and breadth to um, the theology and the idea of the feminine divine. And so that's why we feel like this is such an important topic to talk about, to kind of broaden you guys' understanding about how relevant this, um, this topic is in terms of our growing relationship with deity. Yeah. Well, and I'm I'm excited for them to listen to this episode because yeah. we get into um, some of the historical mm-hmm. stuff that has happened to really um, to to really you know mute the yes. the divine the divine feminine and and uh, it gives a lot of context and then yes. you know along comes conference and Renlund's talk and and he's speaking exactly what we're talking about yes um, and so. It's, it's, you know, we talk about it being in the air that we breathe, that it's somewhat subconscious and, and yeah. he just, he just brought it straight to light mm-hmm. and, and there's yeah. so much I want to say about what he said and we could go on yeah. and on, but maybe we'll save that for another day. Yeah. Let me just, if I may, as we close up or we'll close up and then let you guys listen to the actual episode is this, this came to me this morning. It, I, the voice of my mission president came to my mind uh, as I was getting ready today. Um, and I remember being instructed as a, we, we would always kind of be like, we had letters we sent and the whole thing. And it was like, gosh, do we tell him how we're doing or do we just let him follow the spirit and have his revelation, right? Uh-huh. And I remember this man saying, Sister Bailey, revelation is followed by information. <laughs> <laughs> and so in my mind that came to me in his gruff Southern accent, he scared me to death, this guy. But this idea here, this podcast, you guys, is to help you see that revelation follows information and this podcast will help us contextualize where the feminine divine went and how and why she has disappeared which is making it more challenging for us to then reintroduce her into the present day which makes this a big scary topic right and now you know having it be spoken in conference the way that it was it almost feels 
like it's bad or sinful or yeah. wrong. And, yeah. and I feel zero guilt no. about what we've spoken in this episode. And I stand by everything that we said. Yes, it matters. Um, and we Absolutely. need context. We need history. Um, it's relevant, and it'll help us as children of the divine know how to proceed in our own experiences and you know, trying to live in, into the revelation of our own divine growth. Absolutely. Enjoy the episode. Okay. Bye, guys. How does ignoring the divine feminine hurt us? All right, Valerie, I got a story for you. All right, let's hear it. So uh, someone I know has recently, I I don't know if getting blacklisted is the right word, but, you know, they've gone on that kind of list in the ward of like, oh, they're one of those odd people that does weird things. (laughs) We all know what that list looks like. (laughs) Yeah. And so I want to tell you what they did in order to get on that list. And and I know they're on the list because um, I've heard things, you know, like, like the Relief Society president say things like, well, we're not going to have her teach in, you know, we, we can't have her teach. Um, yeah. And <laughs> so what she did was she was asked to give a prayer and sacrament meeting. And in her prayer and sacrament meeting, she prayed to Heavenly Father and Heavenly Mother. Mm. Dear Heavenly Father, dear Heavenly Mother, mm. is what she said. And that is what got her on the, on the list. Mm. Um, <clears throat> and it's interesting that the the Relief Society president, who happens to be a woman, um, <laughs> is is one of them, uh, one of the people that's perpetuating that we need to keep her on the list because she's dangerous because she mentioned in sacrament meeting at the pulpit and she prayed to Heavenly Mother. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it, isn't that fascinating? We, it is. It is fascinating, and it, it always just strikes me as so intriguing. The um, the, the the hills we as a church are, you know, asked to die on, right? Because of all the things we could be concerned about, um, uh, social justice issues and other really important issues. Why it is that we are there's such an anxiety or a historical anxiety around uh, the our relationship with and certainly the worship. Of Heavenly Mother, that if, if I'm not mistaken, I believe it begins around the 19 in the 1990s during sort of the September 6 era, when President Hinckley mentioned that the, the the praying to Heavenly Mother was sort of the beginnings of what was sure to become one's individual apostasy. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Why? What? What? Yeah, like we, we believe in a Heavenly Mother. We right, and that's it's doctrinal, and I mean, you know, to the credit of the of the general of the brother of the general church, the acknowledgement of Heavenly Mother has been added to the young women's theme. So now we have, you know, two. Yeah, I know. I was shocked right. by that. Right. But, well, well, it's, it's lovely, right? It's good. It's I'm awesome. It's, it's good. awesome. <laughs> what What's the but Valerie? What's the threat? What's the yeah. like? What are we afraid of? Um, now, now, what I've been told, and I know I asked that question, I want to come back to that. Mm-hmm. What I've been told is that we don't speak of Heavenly Mother out of respect. Is the, the reason why she doesn't come up and why we don't go there is because she's so sacred and so important that, um, you know, God, God Heavenly Father, 
-hmm. when I say God, but Heavenly Father doesn't want us to defile her in any way. And so therefore we shouldn't speak of Heavenly Mother, right? Yeah, Yeah. I I was taught that same line. Mm -hmm. And I used to be like, oh, okay, you know, back when I before I became what I would consider more thoughtful and more um, sort of responsible for my own faith development. Now what I see in that is an evasion of something that's more around um, fear of what it will look like if we were to acknowledge um, how much power the patriarchy has and wants to hold on to, you know, because the the thing of it is, is that when we, um, when we speak of our heavenly mother like that, we're saying a lot more than what, than what we're saying under the undercurrents of that is first of all, uh, she is defined by her fragility, by her weakness and by her silence. She is weak. Mm-hmm. Heavenly, Heavenly Father must protect. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And there's so much that we're saying in in the act of saying that she can't have a presence by herself. She is not an entity for, to you know unto herself. She has to be behind, protected, because she can't. You know, it's it's a very powerless stance in trying to sort of um, you know fragilize her. And, and what we're doing is perpetuating more of the patriarchy by sort of supposedly protecting and defending, you know, her virtue and, and, and I'm, it, it, it hurts, it hurts us as a, as a body. Well, I absolutely, I bring that up, mm-hmm. but I ac- absolutely want to call BS on it. Right. Like I, I, you know, you're saying that, that she, she doesn't need protection. She's mm-hmm. strong. Right. Precisely. And, and, and I agree with that. And I, but I would also go further and say, it's not about protection that no. that's kind of what we've been told, yeah. but it's about muting yes. her. It's about like a fear of the feminine yes. um, coming forth. Mm-hmm. And there's, there's some threat there. There's some fear there yeah. that, you know, why president Hinckley would say that. I don't know exactly, but mm-hmm. other than there's a threat there to something, yes. some patriarchal system that's, that's set up. It, it, it speaks, it speaks into something that goes so much deeper, Brandon, than our faith tradition. I mean, it is nested in like some really deep history that goes pre Old Testament. And if you want, I can actually spend a little bit of time kind of talking about yes. how deep exactly is this fear of a feminine divine, because I have put a lot of study into this. The main book that I've read, well, I've read, I've read a few, but the one that I want to reference a little bit here is called When God Was a Woman. And it's written by a scholar by the name of Berlin Stone. And she went deep into scholarship and archaeological digs and all sorts of things to help us understand what happened to the feminine divine. And then we're talking like way, way, way back. And what she came to discover is that pre-Christianity and so pre-Judeo-Christianity and pre-Islam, much of what they're finding archaeologically that has been left because most of it was destroyed makes clear that that the world and the civilizations back then were matriarchal that there was that it was a feminine divine that ruled Mm. and Mm. that when you know during about the time of abraham of the new of the old testament they came in and cleaned house and what they called um sort of the destruction of this pagan system she's starting to question through her research was this pagan or was this just matriarchal was this a matriarchal god that was being wiped out and and just a little bit more that just blows my mind a little bit 
when she looks into the literature and the scholarship from ancient scholars back like looking at this time period not only there's almost nothing left there's a little bit left where the statuary um, all the statuary of the gods back then had breasts for example pretty mm -hmm. much across the board so they, they they there's reason to believe that the very little that is left is definitely speaking into a feminine divine and furthermore she notices in the scholarship it's even hard to trust uh, contemporary scholars because most of them are men and most of them have been nested in the patriarchy for so long right they almost can't even do um, a critical analysis of of these ancient time periods because it's through the lens of a man but she did notice a few very significant things for example in the scholarship that she's reading she noticed that number one when the feminine divine was talked about goddess for example was always with a lowercase g and god as they introduced the male divine was always a capital g a capital and then the next couple things that she noticed there's more but i just want to give you sort of a little bit of a highlight whenever anything was referenced around something that had to do with the feminine divine um, and any sort of systems they were always called a cult but when we introduced <laughs> the masculine divine what were they called they were called a religion and then interesting one more thing, one more so thing it was a good thing versus mm -hmm. a bad thing mm -hmm. a cult bad a religion is a good you know wholesome yes. thing so yes. she's even reading the scholarship and going oh my goodness this is so deeply embedded in um the way we view matriarchy and patriarchy it's hard. even these scholars were sort of they didn't even she was looking at a lot of scholarship and seeing this across the board and then the last thing that i'll talk about and i want to hear your thoughts on this is that in this in this reading that she was doing as far as going way back into ancient scripture when this was transitioning from a, a feminine divine to a masculine divine she noticed that most of the time these care the, when the when the feminine divine was um when that was being taken away part of the reason why they were taking away the feminine divine is because of the sexual and erotic nature of femininity uh, right and mm -hmm that when they were referencing how they how they needed to get rid of these this pagan religion the feminine divine was considered they used words like improper or aggressive sexually but when they moved over to the masculine divine although the behaviors were the same these masculine divine characters in ancient scripture were considered either um playful or i think that i don't know how to pronounce it viral v-i-r-a-l Basically, they were their 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 sexuality was something to be desired. It made them it made them more manly, and so she's noticing this big shift, wherein all all of this um, is experienced as we've always. So my I guess my take on this is as I was reading this and my mind was sort of like exploding. I'm thinking to myself, oh my goodness, we live in a culture that even going far as far back as pre Old Testament, it has shifted between masculinity from mas from femininity to masculinity not because it's always been that way but because it was taken out of of the rhetoric so when you're talking about I, I, it's interesting this this sexuality piece to it i haven't thought of that but what i'm kind of hearing you say is that the the femininity was was looked at as dangerous and and evil in some ways i mean you talk about paganism um, yeah. <laughs> not to say paganism is dangerous and evil but that is there there's that's looked at as like you know weird and 
and dangerous and not okay and not of God, right? Well, I'm not even convinced anymore as I've done a little bit of this reading that it even was paganism. It sounds like they were worshiping something divine. It just so happens to be that in those times that the, the emphasis or the focus was on, you know, in our, in, in the way we would talk nowadays, on a heavenly mother. Yes. And so yes. when men enter into the picture, they call that bad. They call, they call that not godly. And so they, tr- they, they shift it over to an emphasis on masculinity and turn that into something that is whole and spiritual. And I think, you know, for what, what the way I like to think about it is I don't want to be anti um, heavenly father. It's not about, no. me, you know, picking and choosing to me, I'm looking at this scholarship and I'm thinking to myself, the, the tragedy here is that why did it have to shift from one gender to the other? Because I would like to believe that my parents in heaven are both equal in, in, in their capacity to be my deities, my gods. Well, uh, you know, as a woman, Valerie, is Heavenly Father important to you? You're a woman. Absolutely. Yeah, and as, yeah. A, as a man, is Heavenly Mother important to me? And is she my God, and d- does she nurture me and love me? Absolutely. Um, I, I really, I, I look at it kind of as an immature um, way to look at, at masculinity and femininity yes. is, you know, I think of like my, my seven-year-old, who's in first grade and it's like, you know, girls are yucky and they're the enemy and they're, you know, and, <laughs> and, yeah, but, but here's the deal. Uh, an, a mature masculine understands yeah. something. They understand that if the, if, if femininity is strong, yeah. that's good. That, that a mature masculine yes. wants femininity to thrive. And it's not a, it's not a battle. It's not, you know, it, if 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 you're speaking a lot and there's a lot of femininity going on then i guess men won't have a voice at all that's not what happens but it sounds like that's what has happened over history yes and that because of things like sexuality and and just the nature of femininity men have stuffed it down and said nope we're going to take over now we're going to take charge and that's happened for a long 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 time and it continues to happen um, at church Exactly. And I think I want to just speak into what you just said a second ago, Brandon, which is that the strongest man wants a very strong woman by his side. Absolutely. In, in an in a intimate relationship or, or in an institutional relationship, that someone yes. who has a strong ego structure, either collectively or otherwise, is not threatened by the intelligence of or, or the power of the other. There's nothing to be worried about when we feel confident in ourselves. And so what this really is articulating from, you know, the the time, the beginning of time, or at least <laughs> a long time ago, right? Um, Pre-Old Testament is the fragility of, of, the, of masculinity. Yeah. I have to have you below me for me to feel enough. Power, powerful and yes. strong and enough. Power over yes. rather than being powerful with. Yes. 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 Yeah. So if but, I may, oh, go ahead. Did you have something? No, please go. Mm-hmm. Well, I was just going to say, so when we, when we look at that, the larger picture and go way back into sort of the pre-Judeo-Christian Islamic traditions, and then we think about, okay, how did we get where we are today in the Latter-day Saint tradition, where we are one of the, you know, the last standing that don't give, um, you know, have an ordained women, it starts to make a lot more sense. 
right? Because mm -hmm. it's like, if we look at the tradition and especially if we look at scripture, I wanna just say a, a few things if I may about what this means for us, if you go back into sort of the, the taking away of the feminine divine and then how this shows up in our scriptures. So think about this for just a second. I am referencing now um, a book that I've read <laughs> called um, Women and Feminism. And this is an author by the name of Lynn Matthews Anderson. And she writes, um, this is an, an excerpt from an article called Towards a Feminine Interpretation of Latter-day Saint Scriptures. Okay, so she noticed in her own studies that the Bible mentions nearly 200 women by name. So even there, that's, that's better, right? Right. Book of Mormon mentions six. Wow. Yeah, and, and three of them are actually biblical characters. So the Book of Mormon references only three women in the thousand year history. Well, only three women existed in those thousand years, Valerie. <laughs> exactly. exactly. So it's it, when you really put it into context, it's kind of ludicrous. So Soraya Abish and um, Isabel the Harlot are the only three <laughs> that mentioned by name. Um, and then the other three are Eve, Mary and Sarah from from the Old uh, Testament. Doctrine and Covenants mentions five women. Go ahead. I have a. I can see you. No, you want to say something? No, no, no. I'm just thinking, and and even in the Bible, like Bathsheba, and and you you yeah. talk about you know Isabel the harlot. Like mm -hmm. a lot of the women that are mentioned are mentioned because you know of of that reason, right? In some way, right? not necessarily um, women of of you know of power, uh, women of like leadership, things like that. As a matter of fact. As the um, as these as these ancient scriptures evolve, what you start actually noticing is that the the when the feminine, if and when the feminine is mentioned, often it's to say something like something um, archetypal or metaphorical, like the whore of all the earth, the mother oh, of abominations, or the mother of harlots. And so, it's not surprising that um, that we as a, a gender, if we just pause for a moment, look at this and think, okay, what is the sort of the um, if you think about the in, in terms of big ideas of masculinity, the men have their father in heaven, their savior, Jesus Christ, mm -hmm. <laughs> to look at as far mm -hmm. as like the big ideas of masculinity. Right. Um, women are, you know, we're, we're discouraged from um, being in connection with um, a mother in heaven. But we do have the mother of all harlots to think about, <laughs> the mother of right. abominations. Right. And so the feminine is often cast in a very, very negative light. And, and then just to kind of go back to some of the Book of Mormon um, scriptures or things like, like the themes that we look about, looking if we're looking at just Latter-day Saint scripture, um, women are very dehumanized in the Book of Mormon. They're frequently referred to as uh, chattel, this lumped together, this is biblical as well, mm. um, flocks, herds, women, and children. <laughs> mm right? Mm -hmm. um, they're used um, for bribery or they're used as gifts, mm. dehumanizing. Their sexuality is used to protect the men. Remember the young women that would go dance before mm -hmm. the enemies, mm -hmm. to soften the men. Um, they become the wives to those who kidnap them. Mm. And they're often taken prisoner um, as part of sort of the, the economy of, of the war culture. I mean, if you right. dig into the Book of Mormon, and I believe I, I have a, a strong testimony of the power um, of the truthfulness of the Book of Mormon. But what also we have to acknowledge is, as true is it is really painfully patriarchal and very, very oppressive to women. So if we use that as our model of how women can and should be treated in the in the latter days, 
we're really, really hurting ourselves because this this sickness of patriarchy goes really far back and that doesn't make it okay just because it's in ancient scripture that our church believes. Okay, I'm gonna press you here, Valerie, and, okay. and see, see where you go with this. So right. um, the Book of Mormon, uh, and <laughs> the Book of Mormon is, I've heard it called the most true book. Mm-hmm. Right. It yeah. it is the word of God. It is yeah. uh, if if there's any book that has more truth in it, that it's not out there. It's the Book of Mormon. So so here you are saying, in the Book of Mormon, yeah. it's basically um, m- misogynist and sexist, yeah. right? Right. Um, yeah. the, help like connect those pieces. Like, yeah. How can that be? Oh, I. I would love to talk about that. So I, the, the way I would respond to that is that I actually have such an honor and respect for the Book of Mormon, primarily because it is, in my opinion, the clearest and most beautiful explanation of the power um, and really actually what the atonement of Jesus Christ is. And okay. so I believe that it contains doctrine and truths that are eternal in nature that cannot be, or at least I haven't found anywhere else in my studies. And yet at the same time, the Book of Mormon is a profoundly powerful cautionary tale about what happens to institutions and civilizations that are misogynist and racist. Mm. At the uh, end of the wow. day, yeah. That's fascinating the way mm-hmm. you said that. Because mm-hmm. at the end of the day, if you look at the Book of Mormon as a historical record yes. written through the perspective of the man that wrote it, mm-hmm. um, then you're still going to get some of those things, the misogyny, the, the racism. All the, it's it's all, all there, even though it's teaching doctrine, it's teaching about Christ, it's all there still. Well, think, right. about so, this. Yeah. think about this, Brandon, when you when you look at the Book of Mormon again and you take a few steps back, the downfall of the Nephite nation is because in, in, in large part because of, of their of their racism. Mm-hmm. The, mm-hmm. the Nephite people fall. In part, in large part, because of their wickedness. That's and interesting. Against the, the people, the, the, the darker colored people who mm. incidentally hang around. And then if you take that same kind of idea and look at what happens to a culture who oppresses their women the way the Book of Mormon does, they they fall. As a matter of fact, Carolyn Pearson, one of my own personal feminist heroes, says a society that marginalizes its women and creates negative images of femaleness is a society that will not succeed and indeed is a society that may very well destroy itself through war. Yeah. The Book of Mormon is a cautionary tale of as an example of that exactly and so it does testify of truths i just think in some ways here in the modern day we have completely lost track of what the depths of the truths that it teaches because in some ways we are in fact perpetuating the very thing that caused the downfall of the book of mormon in misogyny and in our history of racism in the modern church okay valerie so I want to I want to fast forward now. Fast forward okay. to t- today. So yeah. you know when our when our scriptures have this stuff in it, um, how does that bleed out into into people's lives today? Like how does that play out into people's lives today? Um, so here we are at church, and I I think that the feminine is very muted still. Obviously, absolutely. Um, and. And we still live in this very patriarchal 
I'd say, unrighteous dominion of the patriarchy at church, right? Yeah. And we don't talk about divine feminine. We don't go there. Um, how does that affect church members? How does that affect individuals? I think it affects. I think it affects us on every level, Brandon, because. I think what we have to notice and what you and I are trying to sort of flesh out a little bit here is it's so embedded, so deeply embedded in sort of the, the air we breathe or, or mm-hmm. you know, the water in which we swim <laughs> that we don't even know it's there. And yet, you know, what you hear oftentimes is um, women feel like second class citizens. Mm-hmm. When we don't notice a book of Mormon that is filled with just the examples that I've offered to you. And I mean, I, I appreciate this personally, because I'm reading this, if I may, do you mind if I just like, I want to just spend a tiny bit of time talking yes. about my, like how this informed, like my personal, why this, why my own perspective might help some of you listeners out there. I, I actually, I come from a place personally of not having felt heavily oppressed in the Latter-day Saint church. And I'm really grateful for that. Mm-hmm. I, I come from, I, I've, I've had a lot of good memories and i still feel as if i've had a lot of really really positive opportunities to serve in the church i'm um i'm in a very egalitarian marriage i wouldn't say my own uh, family of origin was my dad had a lot of problems for sure and yet i did never associate that with unrighteous dominion directly related to the priesthood and so when i come at this i don't come as a latter-day saint woman who has a lot of open wounds I come as a scholar looking at this and going, this is wrong. This is not what God ordained. This is what, this is a, this is a historical mistake that goes back thousands of years that we as a Latter-day modern day church are still perpetuating. Yes. And it hurts us because we don't seem to understand that this mistake is nested in so much culture and that we have to have the capacity to push back and recognize it's always been wrong just because it's been wrong for so long that we've forgotten about it that we've forgotten that it's ever been like that we it's almost like we have normalized that which is not okay yes just to repeat some words back that you said valerie which i really like is it's nested in culture and it's in the air that we breathe and when, when when you say those things just to dumb it down for my sake here is <laughs> it's uh it's pretty unconscious and yeah. automatic it just yes. we don't even realize it's there yeah. uh, but it's there and and you know for someone listening if you're thinking i you know i'm i wasn't aware of this but as you're listening to valerie talk about this and you're listening to us talk about the divine feminine and if it's making you uncomfortable then that means that those agreements yeah. um, the, the, that you've made because it's nested in the culture are very much working on you right now yeah. because it's there. It's absolutely there. And we're supposed to stay unconscious of it. We're supposed to, to just go along, just keep going along with, with these patriarchal systems that really shut down the feminine. And, and I think when you bring light to it, it does cause some discomfort because um, because those voices that say, uh-oh, this is bad, this is wrong, this is not okay, come up, which then protect the patriarchal system. It's, right? it's not just uncomfortable, Brandon. I would say, if I were to go back to my own experience, it's shocking. 
Like yeah. it's shocking. I will, I will notice, I will read, I will listen to people. And all of a sudden when I have a fuller picture, it's shocking to me how blind I have been to my own ignorance. And right. I think that's why it's so, uh, we, it's so important that we gently challenge a system that says, well, we don't really know why it's always been this way. It just has, this is God's will. And to kind of look and to have the critical awareness to say, um, I respectfully disagree. Right. We're all, we're, and that's where I think we have to sort of gently, but also very directly recognize the, 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 the fallibility of, of leadership and of prophets. They too are nested in a culture that has always seen a certain thing as a certain way, and they can't but be a part of that culture that is embedded in, um, in, in a lot of um, woundedness, brokenness, misunderstanding. Um, around this this issue of patriarchy, right? And they feel like it's their job to perpetuate it, perpetuate mm-hmm. it. And mm-hmm. you know, it's interesting, uh, Valerie. I was listening to a podcast, and I can't I can't remember exactly what it was, but um, she was talking about the the early saints, the pioneers, and how how much more free a lot of the women were to just express and be them, and and how femininity was more a part of the church early on, um, but then it got taken away, yes, and then. And it wasn't just the men who shut down the femininity at church. It, it was also the women. It was also the leaders of the church to say like, oh, yeah, yeah, you just you just be quiet. You don't bring that up. You don't talk. You don't say those things, right? Yeah. So like my story with, with you know, this person who got on the blacklist at my church, um, both men and women perpetuate this culture of toxic masculinity at, at church. Um, Agreed. Agreed. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's, it's very, um, and I think, I think that circles around what seems to be, again, a little bit more of a, it's, it's more recent in nature, maybe in the last 40 years from my reading, starting in about the sixties, seventies of the church where this sort of hard push um, to just listen to the prophet and do exactly, you know, like that, that almost obsessive desire that we not question or sort of be critically aware of um of things that we're we're in like we we should be an authentic struggle with because culturally there's something that is i think at least for me there's we've got to really exercise that psychological agency that like this doesn't feel right and i think this really um heightened um around the period of like the the 70s where the equal rights amendment was coming about where women of the church who had sort of been very insidiously um, colluding in the silencing of the feminine divine mm-hmm. and of the power that women did have more so in the early church, where uh, it really started to be sort of a hard push. And um, the the brethren were really pushing for um, more of a hard patriarchal stance. And then there became I, like what well, I, I like to call sort of the feminine guardians of the patriarchy, where they were right. sort of, and then and they were they were um, there was a lot of reinforcement by the patriarchy, of course, for the women to speak against their own feminine divine and right. against their own, I think, God-given rights and privileges as as women of the yes. church, as daughters of heavenly parents with yes. both, of, of both genders. Right. Yeah. I'd like to, Valerie, with you, I'd like to kind of look at air for a minute. So what I mean is, Let's try to let's try to illustrate some of these subtle things. 
yeah. that that happen that we see. Um, I mean, we've mentioned that you know we don't we don't talk of the divine feminine. We don't speak of heavenly mother very often, yeah. and that's that's implied at church. Yeah. Um, other little things like, for example, the way modesty is taught at, mm -hmm. at church. You know, to to girls, to women. Yeah. Um, there's a subtle there, there's subtle messages um in, in that and, oh my gosh. and oh. yeah and we could yeah. do full episodes on this one right well let me let me just offer to you what came up for me just then brandon is that you just asked how does this whole like historical piece play out today yeah. in here and now at church like what i was talking about that goes back like way you know ancient his, ancient scripture right the reason why it plays out today is because when you have a system and a culture that's so deeply perpetuated over so much time what this turns into is a system where the man is the object. The man is the is what is referenced, and then the woman is the subject, right? Yes. Oh, I'm sorry. Let me. I, I said that wrong. The man is the subject, and the woman is the object. So Explain the man, that. So, so the man is the is the thing, and the woman is only related to the thing. The system is there to support and and take care of the man. The man. The, the thing. Yeah. The man that's there to. Yes, and the woman figure his is life only, out, right? Exactly. And the woman is in reference to the man. And so the modesty chastity business is more about how can the woman behave herself in dress, in behavior, in reference to the man. Yes. We have to protect the man. We have to we have to help help the man be prepared for his priesthood responsibilities or for his mission service or for whatever that thing is that the woman is is an object that is treated as secondary to the man and so it plays out in all of these very very subtle ways that yeah. we don't even notice yeah that that my my daughters are digesting uh, subconsciously mm -hmm. um right so like here's here's a, just a few more you know if mm -hmm. it, you look up on the stand and and leadership is sitting on the stand yeah. who's sitting up there yeah. men in, in sacrament meeting um, who who speaks last? Yeah, the the presiding leader. The or, or even out. even if if me and my wife speak, guess who guess who gets more time? Yeah, and gets the last word. I do. It's so just because I'm a man. Embedded. It's just so deeply embedded in the culture that we don't even almost know that it's there until one day, you know, like my own story, as I wake up and go, oh my goodness, like oh my goodness, and it really. It's jarring, and I think that's why when um, people like myself sort of wake up to this, even though I don't have any sort of firsthand trauma, which I'm grateful for because I'm not coming from a place of of my own anger. This right. really is very like I'm. I feel very clear on this, right? And I feel very um, cap capable of speaking into it because it's a systemic error, error, and it hurts, and it does actually legitimately hurt a lot of women, not only in the church um institutionally but in marriages in families in systems in the in the sort of the micro systems it, it hurts well us. it's a it creates a one-up thing right the, yeah. the the very thing that you you were talking about the subject and the object is yeah. that trickles down into marriage it's okay yes. now at church like i'm the important one because i'm the man and yeah. now i go home and i'm the one that gets to tell 
everybody who says the prayer at night yes because i'm the man i'm the one who you know my wife's there to support me in my career and my thing and like and so it just trickles out into all kinds of parts of life right yes and it's so wounding i think to the system as a whole whether you know let's just stay with marriage for a second where the woman is actually um encouraged i think to stay on some level very underdeveloped yes she needs i was actually in relief society um it's been a little while because I, I haven't been in Relief Society for a few years because I'm always in the primary. But I remembered vividly listening to women speak about, I don't have the courage or confidence to lead a scripture study because I never served a mission. I don't have the courage or confidence to ask a child to say the prayer because I'm not the man. I mean, and this is a little comical and sort of uh, in terms of my own, like that was a little bit mind blowing to me because I guess I'm just too sassy and disrespectful. But in my mind, I couldn't even fathom like, well, why wouldn't you? Right. I mean, and yet that was the very, and the narrative from many women was I am a very insecure woman because I'm not smart enough most of the time, because many of these women have been encouraged to leave their formal educations to start having babies. So they're less educated, they're less spiritual because they're not as encouraged to go on missions as their partners. They're right. financially dependent, they're, um, they're spiritually dependent. I mean, there's so many layers where the system actually perpetuates this one up male, one down female that is absolutely dangerous and corrosive to the health of the woman, to the development also of the man who is colluding in this and to the to the family itself because this is what the the children both the boys and the girl you know the 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 both gendered children are watching the system and thinking not only is it normal but it's god ordained yes i i uh just last night i was i was running a group and i don't know how many times i've heard this but um the the advice a woman was speaking and she said the advice that my mother gave me when we got married was just make sure you always take care of his needs. Oh, um, and you know what that means, right? Um, <laughs> and, and and this isn't just a church thing, but, yeah. you know, it's a woman's job to, mm-hmm. you know, sex set is a man's. A man owns sex, yeah. and he's the one that gets to, you know, she better, she better show up for him. He's you know? the subject, and she is the object. And the object. Mm-hmm. And, 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 you know, with that example of sex, you can really see how damaging that can be to, to both a man who, who takes advantage and uses somebody as an object, yes. which is problematic for a man, Absolutely. and obviously to a woman who just gives herself up, yeah. gives herself up for the system of marriage or the system of, of the church or whatever it is, and really doesn't get to shine, doesn't get to fully realize who she truly is, rather than just being this subject for, for a man. It's so, there are so many layers and levels of this, Brandon, and I think that's why when, when women speak of wanting to be ordained, that to me is only just, um, that's the metaphor. It's sort of this, the way they say, I want I want equality. I want to be seen as equal in the eyes of, of my creators. And so the, that, that idea feels like it's to me, just, it's a, just a small, tiny little piece that is representative of an issue that is, is, is profoundly important that we start acknowledging as a church. If I may, let me just mm-hmm. say one, like I have one quote that I would like to read. This is once again by Lynn Matthews Anderson. She said, 
We cannot, we cannot ignore the foundational texts of our religion, nor can we afford to dismiss those things in them that we find unsettling or distasteful. So I'm going back to like, where this is so embedded in so much ancient history and culture. So I go back to the quote, she says, but unless we are willing to worship a God who is sexist, partial and misogynistic, we cannot ascribe all that is found in our scripture to deity. Rather, we need to develop an interpretive framework that permits us to distinguish between timeless truths and human influences. Yeah, love that. We have to start looking at this, at how deep the wounds are that hurt us at church, in our families, in our marriages in 2022. Well, and I think Valerie, faith, and I know we gotta wrap up, but you know, from from those of us who have been raised in the, this culture and these systems, um, to to let the feminine um, rise and and to to bring femininity more into church, um, we it's uncomfortable because it's different, right? And faith would say, you know what? Let's let's watch to see what happens. We don't know how this is going to end up. Now, my guess, Valerie, is that we would all be blessed. And we would all know God more, and it would it would be amazing. We'd find more peace and all kinds of things, but we don't know because it's change that needs to happen. And so we need to, with faith, step into things. You know, it might take faith for an apostle somewhere sometime to say, "Hey, let's have a woman um, conduct conference this October." <laughs> you know, I know that sounds radical and crazy and whatever. Right, and that—that's just such a small, tiny step, something like that. But that discomfort of how that feels for us, we're going to have to have to be okay with. It wouldn't be that uncomfortable for me and you, I don't think, Valerie, but it would be for a lot of people. It would be revolutionary and brave because you know just to do what we've always done, because we've always done it, and so much of the time, again, I'm I I find it very intriguing and important to think about the fact that when we we say this is how it is because this is always how it's always been mm -hmm. right with which is you know how with with women not having the priesthood i i just simply don't buy that that's that's not enough that feels like it's very um laden in culture to me and i think that's what we need to invite um ourselves as the as the membership and mm -hmm. um, encourage our our brethren to to consider because right. we're all we're all guilty of it. We all we're all nested in culture. We we can't we can't not be. <laughs> we all have perpetuated it and done right. it. Yeah. Yeah. All right, Valerie, that was really good stuff. Um, mm -hmm. Thank you so much for sharing all of that information and and how much you studied up on it was really helpful. Oh, I'm so. I'm intrigued with it because um, because I am I am a woman and I want to be a spokesman for for my fellow br brothers and sisters who yes. we all we all need to do better and to speak up and have the courage to respectfully have these kinds of dialogues so that we can understand um, the struggles that we have in a very sort of real and educated way. So my pleasure. Thanks. Absolutely. Awesome, you guys. Have a great day. We'll see you later.